Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor Tyson Harold, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. One of the most relatable and recognizable figures in the entire Bible is a guy named David. Now maybe you know David as a young boy who was out after Goliath. Maybe you know David as a military commander. Maybe you are reminded of David and his sin with Bathsheba or Uriah. Maybe you know his son Solomon, or maybe you even recognize that uh, David, in spite of all his problems, is listed as a man after God's own heart. Whatever it is with David, though, there's, a, there's an interesting part of his life that not many people in Scripture can say. And that is, is that the highs and the lows and everywhere in between have been cataloged for us in the book of Psalms. In the book of Psalms, we see David's innermost thoughts, both about people, about God, and his response to the things that God allowed to come into his life. And the great part about the book of Psalms is, is that we learn a lot about God, and we learn a lot about David and in turn ourselves by what he's put forth, put forth in, in the Psalms for us. Today, I want to take a look at Psalm chapter 34. And just to give you a little bit of a backdrop about why this psalm is so interesting to me personally, it focuses on a part of David's life that maybe you're not as familiar with. David had a song written about him in which the people said that Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his tens of thousands. And that song spurred jealousy and rage in King Saul like nothing else. David spent a significant portion of the next year trying to evade Saul and all of his men. And as he crisscrossed across the nation of Israel, trying to hide and get away from Saul, he ends up back in Goliath's hometown, which is called Gath. Now, if you can imagine, as David makes his way back into this hometown of Goliath, these people were not fans of David. After all, he killed their great champion, Goliath. One of the more notable stories of David's life in which God showed up in a miraculous way and used a young boy to slay a giant. So David makes his way back into Gath, and as he's in Gath, he decides that the best course of action, because these people are going to figure out who he is, he decides the best course of action is to appear insane, and that's what he does. So he appears insane, and they drive him out of town, and he ends up in this cave in the middle of Abdullam, and that, I believe, sometime between when he appears insane before the king of the Philistines, and by the time he ends up in this cave, somewhere in that time, he writes Psalm 34. If you want to read more about this story, you can check out 1 Samuel chapter 21 and 22 as you get a little bit of insight into what David is going through. But this is a chaotic time in David's life. This is a time that he is running from someone who wants to kill him. He has nobody around him. And as he makes his way after appearing as a madman out of Gath and into this cave, some people come around him and come to support him. Psalm 34 is after that. Psalm 56 is a parallel psalm to Psalm 34, and I think it it shows probably a little bit before this. But by the time he pens Psalm 34, he's meeting with a group of people, some 400 soldiers that came to help him. And Psalm 34 is really his response and his declaration to them. Now, the Psalms is full of all kinds of different kinds of songs or psalms. This particular one is a psalm of thanksgiving. And in a psalm of thanksgiving, there's probably 12 to 13 psalms in the entire book of psalms that is a psalm of thanksgiving. And they all follow this general pattern. The first thing they do is praise God for who he is. The second thing they do is they spend some time describing the deliverance that they just experienced. 
And then the last portion is usually some sort of instructions. And so today, as we look at Psalm 34, I hope you'll have the opportunity to take a look because this is an extremely chaotic time in David's life, one that maybe you've not thought through before. As he's running away from someone who wants to kill him, he has time to stop and not only praise the Lord, but to teach us what it means to go through a chaotic time as well. I believe that David found comfort in the midst of chaos, and I think that we can too. I think he gives us three ways today. And so if you have your Bibles or if you haven't flipped over yet, flip over to Psalm chapter 34. In verse 1, it says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I think the first way to find comfort in the midst of a chaotic time is by praising the Lord. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor John mentioned this as well, that really praise is the path out of anxiety. And David sets this forth, not just in this psalm, but in many other psalms, that one of the best ways that we can move forward in a time of chaos is to praise the Lord. And that may sound weird because you may think, oh, praise the Lord, that must mean we need to get together and sing a song. And that might be the case. But I think for David, he said that he would extol the Lord or bless the Lord or praise the Lord at all times, and his praise would always be on my lips. Not just when we're singing at church on Sunday, but even in the midst of a quarantine home on Monday, we would have time to still say, God, thank you. God, you are still good. And in Psalm chapter 34, verse 1, it says that we are to do this at all times. You see, there's always a reason to praise God. It is true that things are not the greatest right now, but they could be so entirely worse. And David, as he meets with these people in this cave, he tells them that they are to praise the Lord at all times. Verse 2 goes on to say that I will glory in the Lord or I will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. David has confidence because God has been with him before that these people who are afflicted or people who are struggling, and I believe that after he had taken enough time to kind of process what had happened, he was more sure of these things after the fact than he was before he was being chased by Saul. And as he meets with these people, in essence, he's telling them, my God can help you. My God can make this right. And he makes this appeal in verse 3 where he says, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name forever. There's something about being together. And if there's one thing that this um, outbreak has shown us is that praising the Lord together is one thing that I miss. It is entirely possible for you to praise the Lord by yourself to him, and he is able to get all the glory for that. But I think the, he put something deep down inside of us that desires for us to be in community. That's who he is after all. It's something that is deep down in us to praise together and that actually our praise together can sometimes collectively be better because we are able to spur one another on. We're able to encourage one another. And so David says, and what a popular verse you may have heard before, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. That was an invitation for the men in that cave that day. And it's an invitation for you and me today as well. That regardless of the circumstances, think of the backdrop of this psalm. He's being chased all over the country. Saul has tried to assassinate him once already. He's hiding out in a cave and he's wondering if he can trust God. And his first response is to praise the Lord and to encourage everybody around him to come and glorify God with him. You see, praise can be comforting because it shifts our focus off of ourself. Fear naturally forces us to look down. Or the other bad part about fear is that it forces us to look within ourselves, to look within our own abilities or to look anywhere else other than the Lord. 
But what praise does is it puts our focus up to where someone can actually help us. There will be a time if you haven't experienced it already in your life where you realize you need God's help. And as David did this, he says, look, let's come together. Let's glorify the Lord together. Let's exalt his name together because he's the only one that's going to help us at this point. You see, the opposite of fear is not courage, it's faith. The opposite of fear is not courage, it's faith. David had seen this in his own life several times before. He would see it again multiple times in his life as well. If you remember back to the time where he defeated Goliath, he told Goliath before he defeated him, he said, the Lord who rescued me from the lion and the bear will rescue me from you as well. His fear was not turned into courage. It was turned into faith that God would step in and provide for him in a way that only God could. We as Americans love to live by the, we'll just try harder. We'll just pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We'll do whatever we can. And so the opposite of faith or fear is not courage, it's faith. And I believe that David was calling his men that day, and I believe he's calling you and I today to have faith that God is still in control and that he can be trusted. The second way we find comfort in the midst of chaos is by seeking the Lord. Now, this might seem really simple to you and I, but as I just mentioned, usually seeking the Lord is on the last of our to-do list. We're going to try and fix all of our problems ourselves, and then if we can't do it, then we'll go to the Lord. In verse 4, it says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. You see, David knew where his help comes from. And maybe he didn't quite get it at first, but by the time that he was in that cave, he had become resolute with the fact that God was the only way he was going to get out of this situation. To be fair, God doesn't always answer our prayers the way that we want. Sometimes he answers them yes, sometimes he answers them no, and sometimes he says not yet. And for David, he was able to say that I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. He did not deliver David from all of his problems. Otherwise, we wouldn't have this psalm to begin with. But he was able to deliver him from his fears. And I believe that you can experience the same thing, that God can deliver you from your fears. There's a command throughout Scripture to, to seek the Lord that usually becomes a last resort for us. And I believe that fear keeps us from doing that. But if you look at other passages in Scripture, Jeremiah said that you will seek and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. James says that we don't have because we don't ask. And in the book of Acts, it's recorded that whoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. The truth is, is that God wants us to seek him. The truth is, is that he's willing and able to help us. The unfortunate part of my life, and I'm sure your life, and I know from David's life, is that seeking the Lord often comes last as opposed to first. And so David just lays it out. After he praises the Lord, right, verses 1 through 3 would be that first segment of praise. Then he's going to tell about the deliverance, and that's what he's about to do for you and I today. He says, look, I sought the Lord, and he delivered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. Take a look at verse 5. It says, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. The call is to look to the Lord, not to look to your 401k. Actually, don't go look at that at all you'll be depressed. Not to work harder or try harder, but to look to him. Maybe you've been backed into a corner of anxiety recently or a, a bad relationship that didn't work out how you thought. Maybe you've experienced the loss of a job or unfortunately there are people who have lost their lives to this. And maybe you've been backed into that corner of thinking, 
I don't know what to do. Can I just encourage you to look to him? A couple years ago, I learned one of the best ways to prevent motion sickness is to steady your head, to look as far away as you can see, and to stay focused on something very far out in front of you. I believe that that is not only the cure for how to deal with motion sickness in a car or a boat or a plane, but I also believe that's how we should handle the problems that come our way. I believe that we've experienced a, a motion sickness of our, our soul because our head's looking everywhere for the right answer. And the one place that David is calling us to trust, that the Lord is calling us to trust, is to look to him. And in verse 5, it says that those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. So for you, maybe that means you don't watch the news tonight. Maybe that means you don't talk with all the neighbors about all the things that are going wrong. But maybe that means you take a few moments and you look to the one who can help us, the, the only one that can help us. It's obvious that some of the brightest and most brilliant people on the planet are trying to solve this crisis, and they're struggling. But what is absolutely for sure is that those who look to the Lord are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. In verse 6, it says that this poor man called and the Lord heard him, and he saved him out of all of his troubles. David uses this throughout the Psalms to refer to himself as a poor man, and he's not talking about a financially destitute individual. He's talking about someone who needs deliverance. Think about these words in the backdrop of what's happened in his life. He's, he's gotten so far, he's so concerned that he's come up with the idea that appearing insane is the best idea to get out of a situation. And while God allows that to happen, the truth is, is that David needs God's help. And the truth is today that you and I do as well. Poor, by definition, in this sense, is that he's unable to help himself. And it says that he called, or a better translation might be that he cried out. I've been told that the most used word in our house recently is the word mom. Mom. Mom, can you help with e-learning? Mom, can you make me a snack? Mom, he's picking on me, or mom, she's picking on me. And the other day I went home to see my wife, and she was relaying this um, frustration with me, that that is the number one used word in our house is mom. And as she was doing that, though, suddenly one of my children, who will remain nameless, screamed out in pain. Suddenly it didn't matter anymore. My wife moved from talking to me to instantly running to the other room to see what had gone wrong. David said that the moment that he cried out to the Lord, he heard him and he saved him from all of our fears. Spurgeon said that our cries or our tears are literally wings to our prayers. That it's true that God hears everything and it's true that God wants to hear your prayers. But when we cry out to the Lord in such a way that it gets his attention, David said he experienced this in a way that he couldn't explain prior to this, I don't think. Because it said, this poor man cried out and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. If you've not been there yet, there will come a time in your life that you realize you need God. Not because of your troubles, but because of your sin. And here's the thing. Our sin is what separates us from God. It is the biggest problem we face. And because of that, David said, look, I cried out to the Lord and he rescued you. And I just mentioned a moment ago that in Acts, it says, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Here's the thing. If you're not willing to seek the Lord, you'll never receive the help you really need. And while the, there is certainly truth to the fact that God desires to help you in any area of your life, the biggest way he wants to help you is he wants to fix the sin problem that blocks you from him. But if you'll cry out to him, he will rescue you from that 
and a whole lot more. As Jesus, that's what we celebrated last week. That's why he came and died on the cross and was raised from the dead, was so that we could have a relationship with him. The most well-known verse in the world says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so maybe you've been brought low, like David. Maybe you've came to the place where you've recognized that, look, there is a problem between you and God and that the only way to fix that is found in Jesus Christ. David was just but a foreshadow of what would one day come. Matter of fact, God told David that one day there'd be a king that would come from his family that would rule forever. And that king's name is Jesus. And he did come and he died for you and he died for me. And by his death on the cross, it makes a way for you and I to be right with God. And so if you're not willing to seek the Lord, you'll never receive the help that you ultimately need. Here's the thing. God isn't going to force you to do that. That's something that you've got to make a decision on your own. And we would love to help you with that because in spite of all that's going wrong, something someday is going to cause you to die. And apart from Jesus Christ, that is the only hope that we have. Not just for an eternal life in the future, but for an abundant life today. And so if you'd like to talk more about that, we would love to help you. You can text the word HOPE to 317-708-0362, and we'd be happy to help you through that decision and help point you to scriptures that show the truth and the promises that God offers. But it's also true that if you're not willing to seek the Lord now in your time of need, you, you won't receive the help. And David came to understand that. He, he figured out that even though his ingenious plan of being a madman worked temporarily, Saul was still on the run. And Saul was still coming after him. And so it says in verse 6 that this poor man called or cried out, and the Lord heard him, and he saved him out of his troubles. And then verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. I love that idea that the, that the Lord encamps around those who fear him. It's like put yourself in a tent in the middle and just God is going to surround you. Uh, scholars debate whether the angel of the Lord is, is one angel, all the angels, was it Jesus, was it, it doesn't matter. God's protection is with those that he loves. And he encamps around those that he loves. The interesting part of this though is that it only mentions this after David admitted that he was willing to seek the Lord. And so I believe that God offers protection. I believe that God offers hope. I believe that he offers salvation. I believe that he offers an abundant life, but only to those who seek him. It's been said in the book of Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and that's absolutely true. But it's also true, it's also the beginning of safety. And as God comes and David says, look, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear them, and he delivers them. It helps us understand that God wants us to cry out and to seek him. Verse 8 goes on to say, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Taste and see. It's a strange way of saying it, but it's absolutely true. It's, a, it's an invitation to an investigation that God is good. It's an invitation to an investigation that God is good. Our senses help us understand things that you just fully can't understand without it. So last year, I was able to take my wife to the Grand Canyon. I love the Grand Canyon, one of my favorite places on earth. And I had the comment that I said to her, which was, you'll just have to see it to believe it. It's too big for me to describe. It's nothing like you've ever seen. You'll just have to see it to believe it. I believe that fresh cut green grass that you can smell is greener than it really is. Now, I, I can't prove that, but I've just come to understand that my senses have a way of helping me better understand not only things like that, but also how good 
God is. God's goodness is all around. And it also translates to other parts of our lives as well. For those of you who have walked with God for a while, you may have heard that God offers a peace that passes all understanding. I can't totally describe that feeling to you, but I can tell you I've sensed it before and that it has enveloped every part of my body. I can tell you also that Paul told the Philippians that the peace of God can guard your heart and mind for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so in a real way, David says, look, taste and see, look around, see the goodness of God, but we can also see it in a tangible way in our own lives now where we can see and sense an invisible God who yet desperately wants to be in a relationship with you and I. In verse 8, David says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. There's apparently a blessing. There's a blessing that's offered for those who take refuge. And I think that blessing is peace. And so David, as he starts to work towards this last part of the, or halfway through the psalm, really, he says in verse 9, Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. When you think of the fear of the Lord, many people think like hail, fire, and brimstone kind of thing. But really, a healthy understanding of the fear of the Lord is helpful for all of us. And here's why I say that. A healthy understanding of the fear of the Lord is a realization that God is God and you're not. And if he is God and we realize that nothing else can compare him to him, then it's true to say that we truly lack no good thing. If he offers eternal life free for you and for me, if relatively in our lives we've been through little trouble and struggle for the most part, then it's entirely true to say that a fear of the Lord is a healthy understanding of who God is and that God is working and that he's in control and that we'll have to trust him. Not in a fear that we're afraid he's going to hurt us, but we're going to have to have an understanding that what he wants to do is best. Apparently, for right now, the way that our world is working is for our good. And I can't fully understand that, but I do have an understanding of God enough to understand that he wants what's best for you and for me. And so the third way that we find comfort in the midst of chaos is by fearing the Lord. Verses 8 through 10 really help us understand ultimately who Jesus is, right? If you look at verses 8 through 10, that you could taste and see that the Lord is good, that, that uh, you can see that blessed are those who take refuge in him. We see that best in Jesus, right? Jesus came and he didn't promise. Matter of fact, he told you there would be trouble, but he promised to be with you. And not only to be with you, but to send the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until he returns. So as you think through this today, if we fear the Lord, there's three things that come out of fearing the Lord. First off, it says you'll be blessed, you'll be delivered, and you'll lack nothing. So David, this great military commander, who would one day be king of Israel, who is a man after God's own heart, but yet also had some, some indiscretion and some sin in his life that caused massive problems. He comes to his 400 or so people, and he says, the best thing we can do is praise the Lord. That we can seek him and that we can fear him. And he lays this out in Psalm chapter 34. There was another great military commander or commander, leader, and his name was Winston Churchill. And in the spring of 1940, as the French retreated because Nazi Germany had invaded and they were really worried, Churchill stood before the House of Commons and they asked him, they said, what is our policy going to be? And he responded with this. We have before us many, many long months of struggle and suffering. 
and you ask, what is our policy? I can say to you today, it is to wage war by sea, land, air, with all our might, and then here's the important part, with all the strength that God can give us. To wage war against a monstrous tyranny never surpassed in the dark, lamentable catalog of human crime. That today, my friends, is our policy. Well, for you and I who claim to love and follow the Lord, I think our policy is clear today. And our policy looks like this. We're to praise the Lord, we're to seek the Lord, and we're to fear the Lord. And that's our policy no matter what happens. And so I think if you look through how David navigated the chaos of his life, I think that's what he pushed his people to. That's what he came to as an understanding of himself after being through a chaotic time in his life. And I believe that you and I can live the same way. Our policy should be to praise the Lord, to seek the Lord, and to fear the Lord. Today, as we wrap up our time together, I just have a question for you. What do you fear most? What do you fear most? And the, the second question is, have you sought the Lord about that? I know you've probably asked your friends or your family or whatever, but have, have you sought the Lord? And if you haven't, I just want to, the great part about this is you can turn me off right now. You can pause me and you can seek the Lord right now. I would encourage you to do that if you've not done that yet. And I believe that that is the start to peace, that that is the start to a better understanding of what's going on. It will not fix all your problems. You still may have them, but it's a great start. So David wraps up Psalm 34, and he continues the rest of the psalm to teach what it means to fear the Lord. If you want to read more about that, I encourage you to read the rest of Psalm 34. And then about almost to the end of Psalm 34, he shares what I believe is one of my favorite verses in verse 18, where he says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And today, I just want to remind you today that if you're brokenhearted or your spirit just feels crushed right now, that the Lord offers to be close to you. And what he's waiting for is for you to reach out to him. And if we can help you in any way with that, we would love to do so. But it starts just by simply talking to God. You don't have to turn it into anything bigger or harder or more difficult. He simply wants your heart. And so I would encourage you today as we wrap up our time, we are so thankful that you decided to tune in with us. But we want you to know that our policy and hopefully your policy as well, moving into whatever may come, is to praise the Lord, to seek the Lord, and to fear the Lord. God bless you. You have a good day. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you so much that your word promises that you're close to those who are brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. God, I know for so many people, whether it's students who wish they were with their friends, seniors who wish they could graduate and go to prom, parents who wish they had their jobs or their free time or their, um, their income, people who have lost loved ones or are struggling to make ends meet, that for almost all of us, we have parts of our life that probably don't seem fair and probably haven't worked out exactly how we thought they would. God, we trust and we proclaim today that we trust you. And we trust that what you have for us is better than what we could dream up for ourselves. And so God, I pray that you would help each one of us to be people who would praise you no matter what, that would seek you no matter what happens, and that God, that we would have a healthy fear of you understanding that you are the one that can fix all of our problems. Your son, your, your son Jesus said that to not fear those who would destroy the body, but fear the one who could destroy both the body and the soul. And so God, we come humbly to you today to ask that you would draw close to those who are brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. God, that they would experience your tangible love in a way that they never have before. 
And God, we do ask for deliverance for the problems that we're facing today. But if you choose not to, God, we ask for the grace to endure where you've placed us, that we would be a light to our community and that we would love whoever you put in our path. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.